If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke, the 23rd chapter. We're going to read a few verses from there. Luke records this for us. He says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This morning I want to take some time and help us just reflect or think about together on the mercy of God. You know, the New Testament teaches us about the grace and the mercy of God. In fact, in, in, in many places in Paul's writings, Paul who had the greatest, probably the greatest understanding of the cross of Jesus, in many of his writings, he couples three things together. He couples the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God. It probably was a very commonly used way of greeting people. You would tell them, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. For example, in several places when Paul writes in 1 Timothy and also in 2 Timothy, here's how he opens his letters. He says, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and, and Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Timothy 1-2, he says again, To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. To Titus, once again, as he opens his letter to Titus, he says, To Titus, a true son in a common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. John, the beloved disciple, as in his epistle, says the same thing. In 2 John chapter 1 verse 3 he writes, he says, grace, mercy and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Grace, mercy and peace is what God brings to us through his Son Jesus Christ. Grace is that unmerited favor of God that gives us access into his presence. It puts us in a right standing with God, the grace of God. The mercy of God is God reaching down to us and meeting our need in our present situation. So the mercy of God is the unmerited compassion of God that reaches into our present situation and brings us the help that we need in whatever situation of life we may find ourselves in. Mercy is an expression of compassion that meets someone's needs. So we talk about mercy ministries. What is it? It's somebody expressing compassion to meet a need. So that's the mercy of God. It's his unmerited compassion that meets our need in the situations of life that we find ourselves in. 
And so when we receive God's grace that puts us in right standing with him and his mercy that meets our need, then you and I can truly experience the peace of God. It's an incredible peace because it's a peace that is beyond understanding. And God's will is for all of us to experience grace, mercy, and peace through Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to just focus on the mercy of God. God's mercy extended to us. You know, in James chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible talks about God as the father of lights. Meaning this God is a God of truth. He is absolute light. There is no shadow of darkness in him. Meaning there is no, there is no trace of error or lie or deceit or wrongdoing in him. He is the father of lights. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible also says that God is the father of mercies. The God who is the father of lights is also the father of mercies. It's a plural, mercies, meaning anything in, 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 for all the ills and the problems and the difficulties and situations and troubles and distresses of man, he is the God of unmerited compassion who meets every need. He is the Father of mercies. There is no problem that you have or that I have which His mercy cannot address. He is the Father of mercies in whatever situation of life we find ourselves in. The Old Testament, although the Old Testament is really a covenant of law, whereas the New Testament is a covenant of grace, the Old Testament has so much to teach us about the mercy of God, of this aspect of God being the Father of mercies. And many of you who have read through the Old Testament have definitely seen these scriptures on the mercy of God. The Bible tells us that God is abundant in mercy. He never lacks mercy. Psalm 86 verse 15, the psalmist says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy. The Father of mercies is abundant in mercy. Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in mercy. His mercy is infinite. It's limitless. He's the father of mercies. His mercy is enduring. Meaning it's not like he's merciful today and tomorrow he's terrible. His mercy endures forever. Amen. And you and I have read that so many times through Psalms. This is an example. Psalm 107 verse 1 it says, Oh give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His mercy endures forever. This mercy is an enduring mercy. Man's mercy is very limited. You run out of it. But his mercy is enduring. Psalm 136 is a very interesting psalm because every verse in that psalm ends with this phrase, his mercy endures forever. And I think there are 26 verses. Each one of those 26 verses ends with this phrase over and over again. His mercy endures forever. 
Can we all say it together? His mercy endures forever. Say it again. His mercy endures forever. One more time. His mercy endures forever. One more time. His mercy endures forever. He's the father of all mercies. His mercy never runs dry. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23 are based on, on which we have this great hymn. Jeremiah, in the midst of all this crying and weeping for the people of God, in the midst of all that, he brings out this powerful statement. He says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions, another word for mercy, his compassions, they never, 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 never fail. In fact, he says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are so enduring that they are replenished, they are new every morning. Amen. You thought God was merciful to you yesterday and you wake up this morning wondering if he will still be merciful to you. The Bible's answer is his mercies are new every morning. His mercy is enduring. He is the father of mercies. God's mercy meets our every need. That's what mercy is. It's an expression of compassion that addresses our need in whatever situation of life you and I might find ourselves in. His mercy is what brings forgiveness. Psalm 86 and verse 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. God's abundant in mercy. And therefore, he's ready to forgive. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning and you're saying, you know, I've done such terrible things in my life. I don't know if God is even willing to forgive. I want us to understand that God is a father of mercies. He is abundant in mercy and therefore he's ready to forgive. God's mercy meets our every need. In Psalm 94 verse 18, the psalmist said, if I say my foot slips, your mercy, O oh Lord, will hold me up. I wonder if there's anyone sitting here this morning. You're saying, I'm in a place where I feel like I'm slipping. I'm going down here. I'm going to hit the lowest part of a pit I've ever known in my life. I want you to know what the psalmist said. He said, if I say my foot slips, if I say, God, I am going down, the psalmist said, your mercy, God, will hold me up. I don't know what area of your life you may feel like you're slipping. It could be financial. It could be emotional. It could be some other area of your life where you say, I am going down. But I want you to know the Father of mercies will reach down to where you are. His mercy will hold you up. Psalm 103 is again a very, very familiar psalm. We say, oh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. And this is what he does. He crowns you with loving kindness. And tender mercies. God delights in crowning your life. In beautifying your life with his tender mercies. 
He is the Father of mercies. There is no one here who needs to say his mercy will not reach me. The Bible says that he will crown you with his tender mercies. His compassions, they never fail. And he will crown you with tender mercies. Maybe you're in a situation where you're saying, God, I'm so confused, I'm perplexed, I need counsel, I need direction. Daniel was in a situation like that. His life and the life of his friends were on the line. He was in the court of a foreign king in Babylon. And the order was that if, if the king didn't have the answer he was looking for, Daniel and his friends and many other wise, uh, wise men in the king's court would end up dying. And here's how Daniel prayed. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 18, he says they, he wanted permission that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. The mercies of God address our every need, including the need for counsel and direction and help in perplexed situations. He said, I'm going to seek God for his mercy so that in his mercy he will give me an answer for my situation. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning and you find yourself in a situation like Daniel. Look, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place and I don't know what's the way out but I will seek him for his mercies because his mercy addresses my every need. In the New Testament, you find over and over again that people came to Jesus, called upon his mercy to receive healing, to receive something in their lives. Look at a few examples with me. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27, we have two blind men who followed Jesus. And here's what they did. They cried out saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. They just cried out for his mercy. Son of David, have mercy. Please extend compassion to address our need. Have mercy on us. And Jesus healed them. In Matthew 15, a woman of Canaan, she was not a Jew. She was not entitled to receive anything from Jesus at that particular point in time. God had a plan, but he was going to violate his own order at that moment. Why? Because there was one lady who came with such strong faith and made a demand on his mercy. And God was willing to rewrite his own law at that moment. She came to Jesus in Matthew 15, a woman of Canaan. And she said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is demon-possessed. She came. She was not entitled to any of these blessings. But she came invoking the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, son of David. I will not go until you extend me mercy. And she got it. Her daughter was set free. Matthew 17, 15. A man who had a son who was epileptic and, and suffered very severely. He came to Jesus and he said, said the same thing. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, son of David. I wonder if you and I are in life situations where we need a work of God. Can you and I call upon the mercy of God? Son of David, have mercy on me. His mercies, they never fail. Blind Mark Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside, as he always did. And Jesus was walking out of Jericho, down the path. And he heard that Jesus was passing by. And obviously, prior to that, he probably heard a lot of stories about Jesus healing uh, all kinds of people. 
He saw that this was his moment in life. His destiny would be altered this moment. And blind Bartimaeus cried out. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people told him, be quiet. Don't shout like that. Don't shout. But the Bible says he cried out even more. Son of David, have mercy on me. How desperate is your cry for the mercy of God? I think many times the reason you and I don't receive anything is because we are not desperate enough for God's mercy to touch our lives. Blind Bartimaeus that day was desperate for the mercy of God. The people said, Bartimaeus, you've got to keep quiet. Service is in progress. Do not disturb it. But he said, service or no service, I need mercy. I'm here to receive the mercy of God on my life. I need it. I'm desperate for it. Without it, my entire life will be ruined. Without it, I, my life will be a life in total darkness. I need the mercy of God because I know His mercy can change everything. His mercy can totally transform my life. His mercy can make my mistakes into miracles. His mercy can turn my weeping into dancing. His mercy can turn my sackcloth into gladness. His mercy can give me beauty for ashes. His mercy can lift me up from the lowest pit that I'm in and set my feet upon a solid ground. I need His mercy and I will not stop until I receive His mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. How desperate is our cry for the mercy of God on our lives. God's mercy meets not only every need, but our greatest need in life. Our greatest need is that of a savior from our sins. The Bible teaches us something very interesting. The Bible says that God's mercy and truth always go together. There are two sides of the same coin. You cannot exclude one from the other. Where his mercy goes, his truth is. He is a father of lights, but he's also the father of mercy. He's a father of mercy, but he's also a father of lights. You can't exclude one from the other. Look, for instance, in Psalm 85 verse 10, it says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Mercy and truth. God's truth demands that sin has to be paid for. God's truth says that the wages of sin is death. God's truth says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's truth says there is none righteous, not even one. God's truth says that our best actions are like filthy rags. None of us can stand before God and claim purity or innocence. But wherever truth is, mercy is. Mercy and truth have kissed each other. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the, is the place of this great demonstration of mercy and truth kissing each other because where truth demanded that sin be paid for mercy said I'll pay it Proverbs the 16th chapter and verse 6 says in mercy and truth atonement is provided 
for sin. In mercy and truth, atonement is made for sin. If there was only truth and no mercy, you and I would never experience the atonement of God. Each one would be paying for their own sins. If there was only mercy and no truth, God's justice and righteousness would be violated. But on the cross, in mercy and truth, atonement was made for our sins. That's the cross of Jesus. Paul brings this out in a very interesting way. He pulls from an Old Testament type and points to Jesus as its fulfillment. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, Paul refers to Jesus with a very interesting term. He says in Romans 3.25, Whom, that is Jesus, God set forth or God made to become a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. The word propitiation simply means that God, it comes from a root word which means mercy seat or the lid of the ark. So Paul is saying that God made Jesus to become a mercy, the mercy seat or the lid of the ark. And he's drawing from the Old Testament tabernacle which was a type of the reality. And in the Old Testament tabernacle, there are different sections of this tabernacle and in the holy place God said you will place the ark and the ark had on top of it uh, what was called as a mercy seat made of gold and, and set on top of the wooden ark and it was on that mercy seat that the high priest on the day of atonement would go in and sprinkle the blood to make atonement for the sins of the entire nation and when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, God said, I'll forgive the sins of the people. Look, for instance, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, verses 14 to 15. God instructs, he says, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. On the east and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he will kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the whale. Do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So this was the day of atonement. Blood had to come on the mercy seat. And then God says, the sins of the people will be covered. Paul in the New Testament says, God made Jesus our mercy seat. The cross is a mercy seat. It's a place where mercy and truth kissed each other. And the blood that Jesus shed now became the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, our mercy seat. And Hebrews 9 explains it a little further. It says in Hebrews 9, 1 through 14, that Jesus actually took his blood like the high priest and went into the mercy seat that was in the heavenlies, the real mercy seat in heaven, and sprinkled his own blood there. And through his blood has obtained eternal redemption for us. God's mercy on the cross, where mercy and truth met each other. So hanging on the cross when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Imagine this. 
on the cross. Jesus hanging in all pain and agony. And he's praying for his, these people. And he says, Father, forgive them. What was he doing? Extending mercy and meeting their deepest need, even when they did not realize it. Forgive them. What was their deepest need? A need for a savior from their sins. Mercy was extended. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God's mercy has saved us. As believers, all of us owe it to the mercy of God. Amen? Paul put it like this. He said, God who is rich in mercy in Ephesians 4. Verses Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. He said, God who is rich in mercy. For his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive to, together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. None of us could stand here, no matter how good Christians you and I are today. None of us could stand here and say, I'm in a right relationship with God because I'm so good. No matter how good you are. Maybe you've got your whole life together. But the reason you and I are where we are is not because we got it together. But it's because of his mercy. Paul put it like this in Titus chapter 3 verses 3 and 5. He says, for we ourselves also once foolish disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, but according to his mercy, he saved us to the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not because of what we've done, but according to his mercy. Or because of his mercy. His unmerited compassion that meets every need in our lives. Peter writes this, he says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The reason... You are a peculiar people. The reason you are a chosen generation. The reason you are today a royal priesthood. The reason you are a king in the kingdom of God. Is because once we didn't have mercy. But now we have obtained the mercy of God. His mercy has kissed our lives. And that's why we are who we are today. It's his mercy. Paul knew it so well. You and I look at him as the greatest apostle. But he didn't think of that and think of himself like that. He said in 1 Timothy 1.13, is I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Because I did all this ignorantly in unbelief. Said it was the mercy of God that changed me. He continued on the same chapter and says, It's the mercy of God that put me in the ministry. It's his mercy. This morning, on Good Friday, 2011, you and I can experience the mercy of God afresh. Afresh. In a new way. Because His mercies are new every morning. Luke chapter 1 verse 50 says, And His mercies on those who fear Him from generation to generation. Through generations. 
His mercy descends on every heart that says, God, I bow before you. On every life that says, God, I surrender to you. His mercy will grace your life. The writer of Hebrews encourages us. He says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy. The throne of grace that says, come. There is no condemnation. Come, you're in right standing with me. Come, I overlook your sin. You come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can receive mercy. His compassion that will meet your present need. His compassion that will address your present situation. Let us come boldly so that we can obtain mercy and find the grace we need to help us in our time of needs. In closing, King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, knew the mercy of God so well. He's the one who said in Psalm 57 verse 10, Your mercy reaches all the way to the heavens. How great is his mercy? Reaches all the way to the heavens. You can't go over the reach of his mercy. When he sinned, here's how he prayed. In Psalm 51 verse 1, he said, Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. He knew there was room in God's mercy. He sinned another time in 2 Samuel 24 when he told his captain to go and number Israel and, and then he regretted doing it. And Gad, the prophet at that time, came to him in 2 Samuel 24, verse 12 to 14. He said, David, God sent me and he gave you, he told me, told you to pick one of three things. Do you want, as a punishment, seven years of famine? Do you want to run from your enemies for three months? Or do you want a plague for three days? Here's how David responded. He said, verse 14, I am in great distress. Please. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. He said, you know, I messed up big time, but I'd rather put myself in the mercies of God, because his mercies are great. This morning, the cross of Jesus is a demonstration of God's truth and mercy. His mercies are great. His mercy flows like a river wide. His mercy turns our mistakes into miracles. His mercy turns our tears into joy. His mercy turns our mourning into dancing. His mercy gives us beauty for our ashes. His mercy turns our tragedies into our greatest triumphs. His mercy turns our distress into destiny. His mercy turns our sickness into health. His mercy turns our poverty into great wealth. His mercy, his unmerited compassion meets our every need. He is the Father of mercies. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. As you and I look to the cross, can we be like blind Bartimaeus this morning and say, God, have mercy on my life.
May your mercy rewrite my life. May your mercy rewrite my life. Some of us may be in situations of great sickness and, and physical difficulty. His mercy can rewrite the story of your life. It did for blind Bartimaeus. He was, not, he was blind no longer. His whole life was rewritten that day. When he said, son of David, have mercy on me. Some of us may say, Lord, I'm slipping. But his mercy can hold you up. Some of us might say, God, I'm so perplexed and confused. But like Daniel, his mercy will give you the answer. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your distress, his mercy can rewrite your life. His mercy can turn your distress into destiny. His mercy can reach down to where you and I are and change our lives. I want all of us just to take some time to pray right now. As you look to the cross of Jesus, he is our mercy seat. Can you go to him, the risen Jesus, the living Jesus, and say, Lord Jesus, touch me with your mercy, God. And may your mercy rewrite my life. Just continue waiting on the Lord right now. Is anyone here this, this afternoon and you say, I need God's forgiveness in my life. I have sinned, I've fallen down to the depths that are so terrible. I want you to know that mercy, God's mercy, can rewrite your life. A new chapter can begin, a new book can begin about you, written purely by the mercy of God. What you need to do is to ask Jesus to touch your life and forgive your sins. The Bible says he is ready to forgive because he's abundant in mercy. The cross was the place where he showed to you and me and he is so full of mercy. If he could tell the soldiers, if he could pray for the soldiers saying, Father, forgive them. He was extending mercy to them. He will extend mercy to you and me. Each one of us this morning, in whatever circumstance and situation of life we are in, could we just pray and say, God, touch me with your mercy, God. Let your mercy rewrite my life. Let a new day begin. Let a new big, big book begin about my life. May it be a story of the mercy of God. Because mercy can rewrite your life. doesn't matter what has been written till now. It doesn't matter how great the flaws and the failures have been. It doesn't matter how deep the darkness you have seen. It doesn't matter what your trials and tragedies have been. His mercy can rewrite your life. A new book can begin today. every heart and every life just looking to Jesus the son of David and saying have mercy 
on me.